Hello, and welcome back to Goose in the Morning, your deep route podcast. Wherever you are, whatever time you are listening, I hope you're having a fantastic day. And this is the first episode I've recorded in a long time. It might be, are we over two months now? It's been quite some time. Uh, You know, I've started off all of the other episodes by talking about how busy things have been and and this episode should be no different this is probably the busiest season of my life up until this point we just moved back to Tulsa Oklahoma for those who don't remember we were living in Nashville Tennessee and I'm originally from Tulsa Oklahoma so is my wife and we've been wanting to move back for several months now for a variety of reasons and we finally have achieved that goal She was interviewing for a position. She got the role local here to Tulsa. And then I was interviewing for a role a little while back. And I I was uh, able to get that role as well, a remote role. And so all of this has enabled us to return home. And it's just been, it's been incredibly busy. One, let me tell you, I don't know if anybody has... Uh, ever driven from Nashville, Tennessee, west into Oklahoma. But with a normally, if you're just driving in your car, or your truck, you're probably going to make it in about eight and a half hours. With a fully loaded 26 foot U haul, takes about 11 hours. Not ideal. So, all of this to say, to kind of summarize everything, it's been incredibly busy. That has been part of the reason for lack of content. The other reason is I, I found myself struggling to create content. And so, you know, with, for instance, I, I find it easy to speak about the NFL. Sometimes in my uh, house cleaning, you'll hear me talk about college football. Or you hear, you'll hear me talk about NFL. It's easier for me to have opinions and have have content to speak about regarding the NFL because I pay attention to the entirety of the NFL. I can tell you about the Bengals. I can tell you about the Browns. I can tell you about the Patriots, so on and so forth. Whereas when I'm playing deep route, I can generally only tell you about the outlaws. And so whenever I go to record a podcast, I'm generally, generally looking and trying to find points to talk about. And obviously you have the aspect of with the NFL, you have a wide variety of media sources in order to pull information from. You have other people aggregating data. So you have statistical analysis that you can speak about. You can talk about different different things that have happened in a, in a game. You have more depth, more information to work with than we do here in Deep Route. It's a little harder to create content. But Overall, I do enjoy creating the podcast and I'm exciting to be making a, I'm excited to be making another podcast. One thing I'm going to be doing is for future episodes, I'm going to start interviewing coaches. We may even have a live session with a coach, depending. But I'm more than likely going to do some interviews. I may even do a Ask Goose session where if somebody wants to ask me a question, whether it be something personal, whether it be something about the game, whatever you want to do, you can ask me the question. I'll answer it. I'll talk about it. Just a little bit of interaction, so on and so forth. Whatever I can do to make these episodes a little bit more interactive, a little bit more entertaining, I think that would go a, a long way. Even though this isn't a super serious podcast, I think it's something that's fun to listen to and and, and uh, can provide some really interesting discussion around our fake football league. 
And without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the actual content that we are here for. And it is week five in the 21-25 season here in Deep Route. Through the first five weeks, we've seen some really stellar play from some of the usual suspects. If you go look at the SRS page, you're going to see, and I'm saying this off of memory so that the order may not be 100% correct, but you're going to see some variation of the of the Megalodons up in Montreal, the Cyberpunks down in Dallas, Freight Train, Reddick, and Richmond. Uh, River Sticks is, I, I believe, sixth. The reason I, I know that is because I have a talking point. I, I want to engage with them, but some some fairly some fairly consistent guys staying up there in, in in the top five. Richmond is the Super Bowl reigning Super Bowl champion, and they have had the second most difficult schedule in the league so far. Uh, they are four and one, only losing to yours truly. We'll get into that here in a little bit, but. Some, some some fantastic play through the first five weeks. And if you go look, if you go look at the quarterback play for these teams, it'll really start to show you who's been driving that success. So we're going to take a quick look at some quarterbacks here. I, I've got these filtered on rating. There's a variety of things that we can filter them on. But, but filtering on rating, we have Gordon Davis and Daryl Smith, number one and number two. And that shouldn't surprise anybody. Gordon Davis is the stud quarterback for the Montreal Megalodons, leading the league with a 105.4 rating. And up in Montreal, there has been this renaissance of halfback passing. And maybe renaissance isn't the best word. It's been for several seasons now, the league has been has been toying with this it's it's been in vogue and then it's gone out of style but Montreal with Ronald Smits has really been bringing halfback passing to the forefront and stressing defenses like you would not believe really from a defensive standpoint whenever you want a game plan for the Megalodons you need to have top priority be Ronald Smits Looking at his production, last season he had over 2,000 yards receiving. year prior, he had 1,400. year before that, he had 1,900. He scored double-digit touchdowns for the past three seasons. He's a superstar receiving threat. And this isn't really some new revelation. Smits was a running back in the Dallas system, and Dallas for quite some time has utilized running back passing. And so... Everybody knew about his capabilities, but Montreal has really honed in on them and utilized his supreme athletic ability to put stress and really create mismatches. And then the real problem comes once you start focusing focusing in on Ronald Smith's, you have to start accounting for Gary Jerding, the young superstar wide receiver out of Georgia, Michael Jennings, the talented veteran, Lawrence Crawford, another young guy out of San Jose State. All of these guys, no matter what, you're going to leave somebody singled up because far and away, the most common coverage in deep route is is, is cover one. So a lot of man-on-man coverage. You're not going to see a whole bunch of guys running too deep. Uh, it's going to be a lot of middle, a lot of middle of field coverage. And you're going to have someone 
lined up in a mismatch unless you have a historically deep defense. And you pair all of these with a guy like Gordon Davis. Gordon Davis is a superstar quarterback. And all of a sudden, you have created this offense that is nearly unstoppable. Now, the situation with Gordon Davis is going to be really interesting, and it should be something that we all pay attention to. Gordon Davis is in a contract year, and he is a 99 overall quarterback. And so that means he is going to command a huge salary, a $16 million salary. If you look around the league, most teams are opting to not pay this exorbitant salary because of the value that you get. You can find a quarterback that costs a fraction of that $16 million who will give you a similar level of play. Now, does that mean that they will be as good as Gordon Davis? No, not necessarily, but they can be 80 to 90% as good as Gordon Davis, but cost 20 to 30% of what he makes. You know, you, a good example is Honestly, Daryl Smith. Look at Daryl Smith over in Dallas. He is an MVP caliber quarterback. He's making $2.2 million a year. And he's on a contract through 2128. That is depressing. Will you fuckers get rid of him? I'm sick of playing him. So $2.2 million. He's, uh, he's under contract for the next four seasons, including this season. And he's neck and neck with what Gordon Davis is doing. So I'm going to, I'm going to be interested in seeing what, what QD coach QD does with Gordon Davis. He's a supremely talented quarterback, but I think most of the success that you're going to find in deep route, whenever it comes to quarterback play is who can you put around him? Who can you give him to be successful? You need an offensive line one. You need to protect him. And Montreal has historically had a fantastic offensive line. And then two, what kind of weapons can you give him? And then three, to the best of our abilities here within Deep Route, what kind of mismatches can you create? What kind of plays are you calling? What kind of situations are you putting your quarterback in? Those are really what's going to dictate how successful your quarterback is, not necessarily how good he is. Um, there are certain there are certain traits that, and what I what I mean by not necessarily how good he is, I'm talking about from an overall perspective. We we preach this overall is not a very good way to judge a player. You need to find your core attributes that you look for for a certain position and use that because you can find a quarterback that will fit your needs that may only be a 75 overall. You take a quarterback that's 75 overall and you put him in your system with maybe your elite playmakers out wide and maybe a talented athlete in the backfield and all of a sudden you have a quarterback that is is really dangerous and is starting to light up defenses left and right. So it'll be interesting. Gordon Davis has led Montreal to two Super Bowl appearances. He's won at least one MVP. So it's going going to be interesting to see the route that Montreal takes. They may roll with Scott Lashley. He's a backup on their team. Young guy, fourth round pick out of Nebraska several years ago. He's got everything that you could look for. He's got a strong arm, accurate passer. Really good footwork, good read op. He's a little low in intelligence, but nothing. I, he's not low enough for it to be a detriment, in my opinion. He's rolling with 46 intelligence. Clutch is a little low, 46. Uh, discipline, if you believe in discipline for quarterbacks, he's 98, completely maxed out. Leadership, doesn't matter. I don't know anybody who looks for leadership. High consistency. Yeah, 
I personally think that when it comes to season end, I think that Montreal could move on from Gordon Davis and roll with Scott Lashley and still retain their talented offense. And that may, that may be the plan. I don't know. But that that's going to be my guess. So something to keep an eye on. Uh, anyways, back to what we were talking about. Daryl Smith's up there. Uh, you're going to find Gregory Bustamante. Maybe Bustamante is the way to say it. He's number six in the league in passer rating. You have Jason Boone, the quarterback of Richmond, defending Super Bowl champions. Dudley Pomicola and David Reedus. Those are some of the top guys that you're going to see in, in the top 10. So you look at that SRS list and you're going to find some strong quarterbacks leading those teams. And for good reason. Deep route is a very passing heavy game. You're not really going to find any run first offenses or run heavy offenses. Maybe you'll see some some heavier run offenses with teams like River Sticks. Uh, I believe the Rockhopper Penguins have a uh, a good running game. But overall, you, you need a strong quarterback in order to have a talented offense here in deep route. Speaking of good quarterbacks, I'd like to shine a spotlight on some of the best performances in, in week five because we had several that I would like to highlight, and they might come from names that you do not expect. Let's take a look at this London Queens guard versus the Southeast Texas Rockhopper Penguins game. Uh, 42-39 thriller. So as a fan of football, this is a game that should have been a real treat to watch. And I don't know how many people watched this game, to be completely honest with you. It's a tough situation. The Rockhopper Penguins, it's just not their season this year. And there are some rumors floating around that there is actually going to be a franchise swap. Maybe a little bit of divisional realignment. Um, not sure how much validity there is to this rumor. Uh, but it's uh, it's possible that the Penguins could be switching divisions. And so they're 1-4 and four and they do have talent on that offense. But there's been some internal turmoil and maybe that's contributed. To, to the poor showing through the first five weeks. But regardless, this was a fantastic game from a football fan standpoint. 42-39, to 39, the, London's, the London Queens guard flew across the pond and they beat the Penguins down in Texas. And it was led by their quarterback, Robert Thompson, who had a superstar showing of a day. What I mean, just an incredible offensive performance. 55 of 78 for 535 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Looking at his career up until this point, this looks like a little bit of an outlier for him. His volume stats look good, you know, at first glance. 4,600 yards last season, 4,400 yards the season before that. But the efficiency wasn't there. London, uh, the Queen's guard have struggled on offense for quite some time. But they didn't struggle today. He's a he's a seventh year guy. He was a fourth round pick originally drafted by the Midwest Minions. And generally, when we talk quarterbacks, we're looking at guys who have immense physical talent. Gordon Davis is a wonderful example of that. Daryl Smith is is another guy who can really get out there and throw the ball all over the yard. 
looking at Robert Thompson, there's nothing that really stands out about him. He has a strong arm. He has an 88 passing arm. But here's the thing. Within deep route, that doesn't really matter. Because passing arm is only going to be an accuracy modifier for deep throws down the field. As far as we know, it is either not accounted for or only accounted for minimally whenever making short passes. So accuracy is really the, the the attribute you want to be looking for, and he doesn't have particularly great accuracy. His 80 accuracy, his footwork's a 79, his intelligence is a 63, he has good consistency. Basically, he has the build of a player that is just okay. I would almost I would almost expect this guy to be perennially sitting in free agency, but here he is throwing for over 500 yards and an offensive shootout. Certainly one of the most exciting games of the season up until this point. Really, his best performance was in the first half. The second half, he he threw a pick six. So that's when he threw his two interceptions. He threw a pick six. And then he threw an interception late. Uh, I believe either late third or somewhere early in the fourth. And uh, the Penguins were able to jump out to a lead. But again, when it came down to it, when, when his name was called, he helped engineer a drive to go down and take the lead. 39-36 over the Penguins. And then Dudley Pomicola hits a 58-yard Hail Mary and then kicks the field goal to tie it up 39-39. This is an absolutely insane game. The Penguins received the ball down three with about 54 seconds left. And then Pomicola is under immense pressure, tries to escape, ends up scrambling out, doesn't get out of bounds. Clock's still running. They've got one play left. And Pomicola bombs it 58 yards and completes it. To none other than Ollie Williams, a name we should all be familiar with from his playing days with the Boilermakers. So ties it up, 39-39. And you know what the fuck happens after that? Robert Thompson hits a 69-yard Hail Mary. And they aren't able to capitalize. Time runs out. But we see two Hail Marys completed in a row. Just an absolutely insane game. And then... The um, Robert Thompson, he he gets the ball in, in overtime. The Queens guard, they get the ball in overtime. And Robert Thompson engineers the, the game-winning drive, goes down, kicks three, game's over. But just an, from a football fan standpoint, an absolutely incredible game. You've, you, you see it all. There was a pick six. There was a kickoff return for a touchdown. There were two completed Hail Marys, one of them to tie up the game. A two-minute drive to take the lead. Uh, incredible passing performances by both teams. Long touchdown run. I mean, it just had everything you could ever ask for from a football game. And it's just incredible. So I, whenever I saw this game, I knew it was something that I had to highlight. Uh, I want to congratulate the Queens guard. They're 3-2 and two now, having a good season. Robert Thompson, congratulations on his incredible performance. And uh, let, let's pivot to the, to the next one. Robert Ross, quarterback of the Oklahoma City Eagles, posted another 500-yard performance. 
Uh, this one was on more attempts. He had over 80 attempts, 82 attempts, I believe. Uh, 500 and 512 yards, one touchdown, one interception, which to me, that just seems like crazy low production for um, for a quarterback throwing for over 500 yards. But the team, Oklahoma City, they won 38-35 over the Chick-Shalob Rainbow Raptors. So the offensive performance was there. Uh, but just it's always strange <laughs> to see a quarterback throw for 500-plus yards and only throw one touchdown. It's very strange. But uh, Oklahoma City's offense is... Uh, they live or die by Robert Turner. The wide so Robert Ross throwing to Robert Turner. Robert Turner is the superstar wide receiver for the Oklahoma City Eagles. And today was more evidence of that superstar status. He had over 200 yards, 19 catches. Uh, again, this offense lives and dies by Robert Turner. And this game saw the Ross to Turner connection having to engineer a comeback after they they fell into a 21 to 7 deficit after a kickoff return touchdown Robert Turner or Robert Ross excuse me he threw an interception early on as well uh, which led to points for Chickshalub so 21 to 7 and then they came alive with a Ross to Turner big play touchdown Ross hit Turner on a 10-yard shake route against a really a terrible call on defense. I would have to imagine this is just a hole in, uh, in Chick Shalub's defensive playbooks. Chick Shalub ran cover four, and uh, just that's I, cover four is probably the worst coverage in the game. It's broken, doesn't work. And so, yeah. Ross hit Turner on a 10-yard shake route, and Turner was able to turn it upfield, get 24 yards of yak, and turn it into a 34-yard touchdown to cut the deficit to 21-14. to And they didn't stop there. They stopped Chickshalub, and they were able to get the ball back right before half and engineered a really nice drive to tie it up. But specifically, there was a pass that Robert Ross hit that I found particularly impressive. It was a um, three-wide set where Ross got under pressure and he rolled out to his right and he was able to float up a beauty to Timothy Patterson who reeled it in one-handed and he survived the challenge. Survived the ground, survived the challenge. There wasn't really a great camera angle, but this was a uh, this ended up being a 23-yard play where he was able to just float it out perfectly. And Timothy Patterson is, is not a guy that I really expect anybody to know. He's not a household name. He's been in the league nine years, but he's never really had any significant production. He, he's a depth guy. He was rotated in. And these are the plays that are fascinating. You, you, you know Robert Turner. You know the big name guys. But a guy like Timothy Patterson comes in to spell a to, to, to spell their number two guy and ends up making a, a huge play that ends up leading to a touchdown. Uh, this is this is the drive that about three or four plays later, they ended up scoring a touchdown on and tied it up 21-21 going into half. Just an absolutely gorgeous highlight reel play. And I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to touch on that because it was a fantastic catch. And 
from there, they came out of halftime, and the Eagles really started constricting and choking the Rainbow Raptors. They got out to a 38-21 lead that the Rainbow Raptors were able to cut down to a 38-35 final score. But after halftime is when the the Eagles really came alive, and they were able to uh, really close the game out. On, a, on an impressive game by Robert Ross. Again, there were several plays where he was rolling out, hit, hit that pass to Timothy Patterson, or he was throwing just a pinpoint ball, a really great anticipation pass to a wide receiver that hadn't even hit his break yet. Just really talented play. Robert Turner, obviously the guy is nearly uncoverable. This offense is is completely ran through him. So incredibly impressive day. Two 500-yard passing games within the same week. Sure is something. And then finally, you can't talk about impressive quarterback play without mentioning the likes of Daryl Smith. Really, from a statistical perspective, this is probably the most impressive game of the day. Uh, Daryl Smith ended up with... 57 attempts, 443 yards, four touchdowns. And the interesting thing to me is a guy like Daryl Smith, especially playing in the division with him, you you see a lot of him. You watch a lot of tape on him. You get exposed to him a lot. But he still finds ways to impress you. And for me, what's impressive is the consistency in his decision-making. He always makes the right decision. He's not really a guy that's going to be going out there and hitting pinpoint passes 30 yards down the field. That's that's not his game. That's not the offense that Dallas runs. But he is a guy that's going to go out there and methodically dissect your defense. You put him out there and they're going to line up and he's going to hit a seven-yard pass. And it's not going to look flashy, but it's going to be the right play. And then they'll have a second and three. And then they're going to line it up again. And this time he'll he'll hit a six-yard pass. Again, nothing flashy. Guys open. First down. And he's going to do this to you down the field. He'll hit a nine-yard pass. Then he'll get get really brave. He'll he'll hit a 13-yard pass. But it's not... He's not going out there and and showcasing a rocket arm and just eating up chunks. He's methodically leading the offense down the field and he's making the right decision every single time. You know, earlier when we were speaking about Gordon Davis and the absolute embarrassment of riches that he has for weaponry. It's it's a similar conversation when you look when you when you talk about Daryl Smith. When you look at his supporting cast, there's a mismatch anywhere and everywhere on the field. And so when you have that type of, of offense, it's really up to the quarterback to utilize those mismatches to find the right target and make the right read. And Daryl Smith does it every single time. And so instead of Instead of getting huge chunk plays, I, I would say I would say the, the Cyberpunk's offense, Daryl Smith, are kind of like a boa constrictor. They're not going to they're not going to come and and kill you immediately. They're just going to suffocate you. 
you're going to feel like you're doing okay. And then you get into a third and one. And then they're going to convert that. And they're just going to methodically go down the field. And it might feel like a dink and dunk offense. Hit a six-yard pass here. Hit a nine-yard pass there. But they're all high-percentage throws. And the Cyberpunk's coaching staff is putting the ball in Smith's hands and saying, Hey, I trust you to make the right decision. Go out there and do it. And he does it. And obviously that you know, that's part of the explanation for not only why he's been consistently a top quarterback in the league, but why Dallas has had such success in the past. Their offense is just incredibly efficient at putting players in the right spot to make a play. And then they've had incredible quarterbacks to take advantage of the mismatches that are on the field and to make the correct play. And so for me, this is the most impressive performance of the week from a statistical standpoint, just incredible efficiency metrics and uh, really a clinic on, on how to play the, the quarterback position. While we're on the topic of quarterbacks, uh, there's been a, uh, a major change at the quarterback position for the Oklahoma Outlaws. For those who haven't noticed, uh, Leonardo Haral was was let go over the offseason and so was Charles Robinson so the entire quarterback room uh, from last season is no longer with the team we have two rookies in the quarterback room we have Aaron Broadwater and then Robert Keller and Broadwater was a third round pick that we really liked internally and we think he's done some good things in practice and we think that he's really shown some of the the traits that will make him successful or that could make him successful throughout the first five weeks it's still a work in progress we need to make sure that we're putting him in the correct position or the best position possible you know we talk about with what Dallas does and and how their quarterbacks have had consistent success we need to make sure that we're doing stuff like that to keep our young guys playing well and to keep our team successful and I I think we've done I think we've done a decent job of that through the first five weeks we beat Richmond that was a huge accomplishment. Richmond is a top five team reigning Super Bowl champion Uh, we beat Kanata today 31 to 3 Broadwater had a good showing. He had uh, he had over he had nearly 400 yards, over 380, and he threw two touchdowns. Didn't turn the ball over, so real good growth there. That's been something that we've really been trying to focus on with with Aaron. It, really, with any rookie, you bring a a rookie in, and especially into a league that is is competitive and as tough as League 21 is, and you're going to have some growing pains, and so. You saw it early in the season when we played the the Cyberpunks where uh, Aaron Broadwater threw two pick sixes and it was just an absolute blowout victory for Dallas. And you're, you're going to have those you're going to have those growing pains. But we like what we've been seeing out of Broadwater. And quite frankly, we like what we've been seeing out of Keller as well. We think we might have uh, a good quarterback competition going here. But he's been he's been he's been good um there are a few things that i i would personally like to improve on so there's always the opportunity to look for improvements at the position Uh, his arm for instance or not his arm apologies his accuracy his accuracy is maxed out at 86 and accuracy is not a it's not an attribute that grows over time 
you have your you have a chance to hit um, overgrowth OP, and if you don't hit that, it's done. And so he is he's maxed out. He is going to be an 86 accuracy quarterback for the entirety of his career. And so you could see some growing pains there by if I stuck if we end up sticking with Broadwater trying to build up that veteran bonus and trying to get that uh, if we get that up to 20% then he would be right around where we would like him to be obviously you, you want to have a quarterback with as much accuracy as possible so 99 is really what we're hoping for um, so you could see some growing pains trying to get up there um, however the biggest struggle is just consistency that, that's what we're looking for and he really flashes those instances that um that really make us think that that he can be the guy you know for instance in today's game against Kanata, there was a there was a play early in the first quarter that uh, it was actually our the, the our, our first touchdown drive and so really what Kanata was trying to do is they were they were trying to take away Paul Valenza who is our superstar top wide receiver and so they were doubling him all all game and this was a particular play that Broadwater was uh, he was looking at Moffat as the first read and Moffat wasn't there and so pressure was getting there so he had to evade pressure he stepped up in the pocket and then kind of um kind of faded to his left just a little bit and found Paul Valenza. And as he was fading to the left, slightly off balance, he was able to rifle in a pass to to Paul. And Paul caught it in double coverage, was able to escape the tackle and get about five extra yards of rack, which was huge because this was on a third and 15. So on a third and 15, uh, Broadwater was able to, to make some magic happen and hit Paul for about an, it was about an 11 yard pass and then Paul was able to, to escape and get the extra five yards and so those are those type of plays that really um, can really help showcase the ability that your quarterback possesses and this is a young guy this is this is a rookie coming in as a third round pick from Baylor and stepping into possibly the hardest division in the entire league and uh, he's he's holding his own, you know. Early on in the season, when we played Memphis, he had a great showing. We lost that game thirty-one to thirty. You know why we lost? Because Bradley Sippy missed a game-winning field goal. And that's not to take anything away from from Johnny's team. That's a fantastic franchise. It's a fantastic team that's been put together down there in Memphis. They went thirteen and three last season. So nothing to take away from them down there, but. It was an incredible game, an incredibly tight game, and that was his first taste of the the divisional rivalry. And he played well. He played a phenomenal game for for being such a young quarterback. So we have some growing pains that we really need to work through, but we're really happy with with what Broadwater is doing in this quarterback room. Um, and so, I just wanted to announce that there's been a been a quarterback change. In Oklahoma, Leonardo, we, we wish him the best. He, I know he gave it his all, and he played some really good football here. We just felt like it was it was really time to turn to some of the younger guys and and see what they could offer us moving forward. So, one of the last things that I want to do as we start to wrap up this episode of Goose in the Morning is I, I want to do a a quick first quarter review 
of the player preseason picks. <laughs> and we're going to start with the AFC here. So the, the top two look correct. You have yeah, Playa chose the Cyberpunks and the Megalodons to be the top two seeds in the league. After after your top two picks is when it gets a little bit hairy. Uh, so the, he chose the Rockhopper Penguins as the number three seed, which we spoke about them earlier. The Penguins are running into a, a very difficult season. They're one and four. Um, now he did have them losing in the wild card round, but it, having them as the third seed seems to to not be the hottest pick so far. Number four, and in, in the number four spot, he has Kanata. They're two, two, and one. Now that's not to say that um, they aren't going to be the fourth seed or anything like that. I, th- I think that they more than likely will be. Um, they're going to win that division. I'll tell you that. Uh, Fort Wayne, North Franklin nullification, Buffalo. <sighs> yeah. It, it, to be honest with you, it might be the worst division in the entire league. Uh, I mean, at the very least, you, you, I guess the competition for them there would be the NFC East. Uh, Las Vegas is a team that, at least by SRS, if you're going to put much stock into SRS, Las Vegas is is currently performing better. Not a lot of data to base that rating off of just yet, but uh, Las Vegas is 4-1 in the NFC East. Uh, the Pennsylvania Stabby Squirrels, Leonia, I mean, these are all teams that, to be honest with you, are probably better than... Uh, than all of the other teams in the AFC South, Fort Wayne, North Franklin, Buffalo. They're just, they're going through a real, real t- rough patch right now. And so, Kanata is going to make the playoffs. They more than likely will be the fourth seed. Uh, but it's going to be, I think Kanata could win the division as seven and nine. I don't think that it's going to require a winning record to win that division. Um, so I think it's an accurate pick. It's a safe pick. That's for sure. I mean, obviously somebody has to go, uh, somebody has to go to the playoffs out of that division. It's going to be Kanata. That's, I think that really is the end of the conversation. And the number five seed, they have, he has Prospero, Prospero Red Death. And I think it's fitting that he is the fifth seed because as we speak, he has five losses. And just a reminder, it is the fifth week. So Prospero sits at 0-5, and, and it uh, looks like they've waved the white flag. They are playing rookies. Uh, Coach Sixth is is getting his young guys the experience and the developmental reps that, the, uh, that he believes that they need. So uh, I think it's safe to say that Prospero is not going to be making the, the playoffs. And that's a tough division that he plays in. You're in a division with the Megalodons, and then you have the Oklahoma City Eagles who possess a potent offense for all of their deficiencies on defense. They have a strong offense. And uh, London Queens guard, they're at 3-2. and two. They're not playing bad ball. They're, a, I would say, probably a, a league average team. So sixth definitely has, uh, he has some competition in that division. Um, and so get his young guys some play time take another swing next season and and see what he can come up with and last but not least we have the memphis pharaohs the aforementioned memphis pharaohs uh, i i think this is going to be accurate i think they may actually end up being in the fifth seed 
Memphis, just a talented team. Charles Carrasco over there in the uh, Bass Pro Pyramid. <laughs> he's, he's, he's a talented quarterback. Memphis has really built a talented offense over there. Uh, they are currently they hold one of those wild card spots. I believe they hold the fifth seed at the moment if the playoffs were to, were to begin today. And uh, I, I think that's going to be accurate. I think Memphis will make the playoffs as one of the wild card teams. And I would not be surprised at all to see them make some uh, make some noise in the playoffs. Moving over to the NFC, uh, Verdin at number one. I think this is accurate as well. I really like Verdin. I like what uh, Coach MMGI has done. Really, when I think of Verdin, I, I always seem to think of ferocious defensive lines. And that's for good reason. It's because they always have ferocious defensive lines. If you go look at their lineup right now, they have Lynn Kirk, Patrick Beck, John Foote as their third defensive tackle. They have David Dutro. Ron King. I mean, just to give you an idea of how much money is wrapped up in their defensive line room, you're looking at about twenty-four to twenty-five million dollars wrapped up in three defensive tackles. You're looking at about twenty million, yeah, twenty-one million wrapped up in defensive ends. So we're talking about what 48 million somewhere around there 40 now 46 million 46 million wrapped up in four or seven players on the defensive line and it works they have they're four and one they're one of the best teams in the league they have a ferocious defense and they will exploit any any deficiency you have in your offensive line and then on top of that, you know they're not just a they're not just a defensive team. Uh, Harry Gautier has been their quarterback. He's a veteran quarterback. Uh, he's very talented, and he's been putting up numbers for quite some time. So they have threats on offense. Brandon Cruz at the wide receiver spot. Robert Johns, Phil Andrews. Phil Andrews looks like he's dealing with an injury, and then they and they. Uh, uh, William Harrington, a rookie wide receiver that was drafted this year. So they have talent on the offensive side of the ball. They have a good quarterback that can really put up some points. And so this is a team that they can be very dangerous because if, if, if they jump out to a lead and they put you into a position where you need to be throwing the ball to catch up, all of a sudden you have this elite defensive line pinning their ears back, coming straight for your quarterback. And so you can really find yourself in a hole very quickly against Verdin. So them at the number one seed, I don't particularly have any, uh, I don't have any qualms with that. I think that Verdin is one of the teams certainly to be reckoned with. I think they're a Super Bowl contender. So having them as a number one seed, yeah, that just feels right. <laughs> number two, they have, uh, if, yeah, so Playa has Freight Train at the number two spot. And again, I think this is an accurate pick. I think that Freight Train is going to be competing with Verdin um, for a top spot. Because really, I think the two best teams, um, I think the two best teams in the NFC are going to end up being between Freight Train and Verdin. And so, 
any combination, I'm not going to have any issue at all with uh, with that selection there. Freight train at number two feels fine. Freight train at number one feels fine. As long as it's some kind of combination of Verdin and freight train, I think you've got a uh, I think you've got a good selection. Now here's where it gets interesting. So Playa chose himself as the number three seed, and that is one that I do agree with. However, we do have some competition here, and this could affect the number one and number two seed because let's talk about the Washington Qs. Through the first five weeks of the season, Washington is four and one, and they currently possess a top 10 SRS rating. They're number eight. And so they're really doing some good work down there in that division. They're actually, as far as SRS rating is concerned, they are neck and neck with Verdin. Verdin is the number seventh, number seven team in the league. Washington is number eight. Uh, currently, Washington actually has a divisional lead. So if the, if the season were to end today, um, they would win the division over Verdin. And Washington is a, is a team that I really like, uh, particularly Coach Foster. I'm, I'm a big fan of Coach Foster. And I think he's been able to put together a, a really, really strong team. Uh, particularly Walter Allison is is their starting quarterback, and he's, he's having a fantastic season. Um, one thing to note about Washington is they don't utilize any of the uh, advanced features of the game. So they're not running advanced playbooks. They're running stock playbooks. And so how he's been able to manipulate the, the sliders in order to get efficient an effective offensive play is is really impressive. Uh, he's done a great job of, of putting a competitive team together down there. So it, it's it's interesting when we start talking about that number three spot because I would not be surprised to well no so I guess the first four in the um, first four seeds are division winners and I do think that. Um, I do think that Richmond's going to win their division. So this wouldn't necessarily affect Richmond. This would really more so affect Verdin. Um, but it could affect overall seeding, I guess is my my idea behind it. If, if Washington were to win the division, it could mean that they become the one or the two seed. Or it could mean that Verdin and Washington maybe have a little bit of a slide towards the end of the season. And maybe you see a team like Richmond slide into the top two and Washington take the number three spot. Um, I certainly think that that Richmond will win their division, so it's no question of of uh, where they're going to land as far as the top four. But seeing this battle play out between Verdin and Washington will be really interesting as the season continues to progress, because we could see a some some shifting of expectations here. But Richmond at number three, uh, no, I, I have no issue with it. Reigning Super Bowl champion, very talented team. Yeah, they're they're going to win that division, so this is this is a good pick. Now we get into the spicy part, and I love this pick by Playa. Number four, the Las Vegas Praetorians. Um, this is historically in the NFC uh, NFC East. This has been a d very very weak division. I'm not necessarily saying that this year is any different, but through the first five weeks, Las Vegas has played solid football. They're four and one. If we take a look at their SRS rating, they are playing like an above average football team. 
And I don't think they have much in the way of competition for the division. Pennsylvania is is possibly their their biggest competition. They're sitting at two and three. They're second in the division. Leonia and West Lafayette. Um, Leonia is has been a historically awful team. West Lafayette has uh, has had their moments, but they are um, they're currently in a in a rough patch. So I, I think it's going to come down to Pennsylvania and Las Vegas, and I, I think that the selection of Las Vegas is a good one. I think that Las Vegas is the best team in that division. Uh, I think they'll win the division. And uh, man, I wouldn't be surprised to see them get into the, into the playoffs and really play some tough football. As it stands right now, their Pythagorean record is, is a projected 11 wins. So 11 and five, I don't, it doesn't look like any other team in the division is expected to win more than five games. So uh, I think that they will comfortably win this division. I love the selection by Playa. And the reason why I say it's a it's a spicy pick is because last season Las Vegas finished 3rd in the division. They finished 6 and 10. Pennsylvania actually won the division last season. And so choosing Las Vegas as as the preseason favorite to win the NFC East is just it's a fun prediction. You know, you can you can talk about the quality of the division and how there could be free divisional wins there to really help your help yourself out but I, I like the selection of Las Vegas and I think it's accurate I think I think uh, I, I think I really think Playa has nailed the top four seeds in the uh, in the NFC I think those are all easy selections at number five he has the River Sticks Reapers again I don't I don't have an issue with this selection either River Sticks was a wild card team last season and uh, I don't think they're I don't think they're a better team than Freight Train, though I think that it is close, or at the very least closer than people think. That might be a strange statement, considering that Freight Train crossed into the ethereal realm and floated the river sticks to absolutely spank those ass cheeks in Week Four, twenty-four to six. I I I just think that River Sticks is. Uh, they're competitive with freight train. So I think it's closer than some people might think, but river sticks is undoubtedly a playoff team. Having them at number five is in my opinion, completely reasonable. Finally, the six seed, the Reddick devils. This one could be a, a real dog fight because of the aforementioned Washington cues. Reddick is, is a, a historically great team as well. And uh, Coach Shelton has had uh, just incredible success in League 21. This season, it's really going to be a dogfight for that last uh, that last wild card spot. And I guess you could obviously throw the River Sticks Reapers in with the, in this conversation as well. But it really is going to be dependent on what happens with Verdin and Washington. Who wins that division? If Verdin takes the division, it's going to be a dogfight between um, Washington, River Sticks, and Reddick. Um, and then if Washington wins the division, then it's obviously going to be a fight between Verdin and the other two teams. So I would be surprised to see Reddick miss the playoffs. But it is a possibility because I don't, I don't believe they're going to win that division. 
and you really have some heavy talent, some heavy hitters in River Sticks and Washington. Now, again, as we get more data, we're really going to see which teams are for real, which ones are not. Uh, but this one is, I think this one has the greatest chance of not being true. And it's not necessarily because the, it's not because there's anything wrong with the Devils as a team. There's not. There's just, you have, you're going to have a team really competing heavily and really making it difficult to take that last wild card spot in the Washington Qs. And so I think the Washington Qs are going to be the real wrench that gets thrown into the uh, proverbial engine and causes some problems here. So I, I think this is a reasonable selection. I don't think there's anything wrong with this NFC list. It's just that Washington is really going to make it tough. So really looking back at these at these seeding projections, I don't think I don't think it's a bad overall prediction. I think that the the Penguins prediction is is not turning out. Uh, it's more than likely not going to come true. Prospero is not going to come true. All the other predictions, I don't see any issue with them, particularly in the NFC. I think Playa nailed the NFC. There's really only one question there. So um, now where it gets bad. <laughs> Where it gets really bad is he had Prospero winning the Super Bowl. <laughs> so not only did he have Prospero making the playoffs, which I think is a reasonable prediction, he had Prospero winning the Super Bowl. So his his Super Bowl, his predicted Super Bowl champion is already waving the white flag and playing rookies. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, at the very least, you can look at the Southeast Texas uh, prediction and see that he had them losing in the wild card round anyway. So he didn't have them doing much or making much noise in the playoffs. So them not making the playoffs is is going to be uh, really not as big of an impact on his predictions. But choosing Prospero to win the Super Bowl is uh, is pretty tough. So 0-5, playing rookies, it's uh, it's not looking good. But he does have train is the freight train going to the Super Bowl. He had Prospero beating Dallas in, in the conference championship. Really, I'm not going to be surprised to see a, um, a a rematch of Dallas and Train. It's been a, it's been a matchup we've seen several times now, or a couple of times, so it won't surprise me. I think that might be, um, that very well might be the matchup. I think Train-Richmond is a good prediction for the NFC championship. Honestly, this is going to sound lame. This is not going to sound very brave or very bold. For the AFC side, I would expect to see Montreal and Dallas in the conference championship game. That's my current expectation. So overall, the predictions aren't bad. I think that he's really done a good job with projecting who the playoff teams are. It's just that Prospero Super Bowl prediction. It's not looking good, man. So... Yeah, we'll have to see how the rest of this plays out. And with all of that being said, that is wrapping up our, uh, yeah, this is wrapping up our episode. A good 55 minutes. I think this will be a good episode. This one was was easy to talk about. Like I said, I think in the future, I'm going to be doing some inter- interviews with coaches. Try to make some more material, get some new material in here. That'll make it a lot easier to crank these out, but uh this went well. First episode recorded back in Oklahoma in my new studio setup. So it was a good time. Folks, I hope you enjoyed the listen. Um, 
again, we're going to be doing some uh, Ask Goose sessions. So feel free to shoot me PMs or Discord direct messages, whatever you'd like. If you want to ask me any question, just let me know. And we can include these in the podcast and go from there. Hope all of you have a wonderful night slash wonderful weekend. And I will be talking to you very soon. Good night. Thank you.